0: We're continuing tonight to look at our core commitments as a church. And those are three, faithfulness, care, and growth. We set those out at the 40th anniversary, and then we looked last time at faithfulness. And more specifically, they are, first of all, faithfulness to God's Word, care for one another and then growth by making disciples. Last time we looked at the first of those core commitments, faithfulness to God's Word. And we said this has to come first, because everything else flows from this. If you don't get this in place, then the other things aren't going to happen. At least they're not going to happen in the way that they ought to happen. And again, last time we said that for us, faithfulness to God's word means several things. First of all, it means a commitment to what we called expository preaching preaching that aims to expose or open up the whole Bible. We know that the whole Bible is useful for us. We need it in order to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we need to pay attention to the whole Bible. Then we say that faithfulness to God's word also involves leadership that is faithful to the Bible. It's no good teaching the Bible faithfully if the day-to-day life of the church denies what the Bible teaches. And that means then, as well as faithful leadership, each one of us needs to make a personal commitment to be faithful to God's word a commitment to put into practice what we know and to pursue more understanding. And this is actually something that every member of this church has already committed to. As part of our membership commitments, every time we have new members, we all stand up and we say, as a new person in Christ, I seek to live a holy life as a child of God, being obedient to his word. It's another way of saying being faithful to his word. So this commitment we've been talking about isn't a new idea. It's not a new development. It's something each of us has already committed ourselves to. And that's also true of our second core commitment. Oops. Care for one another. This is the one we're going to look at tonight. And if you have questions... As I go along, we are going to have time, hopefully, for an opportunity to discuss those or to make comments. And this, too, is part of our membership commitments. Maybe you remember making this commitment here. The spiritual and material welfare of all members is my concern, encouraging me to love and to pray for each member. Again, we regularly say that when we have new members. And so before we get into the details of how we show care, I want to try and prove, if I need to prove, I probably don't, but just to prove why care is needed. So the need. Listen to this description of the church. This is by a theologian called Herman Bavinck. And in this quotation, he's answering the question, why is ongoing care needed in the church? This is what he says. There are the sick. The dying, the tested, the grieving, those who are under attack, conflicted, in doubt, fallen, imprisoned, and so forth, who need teaching and instruction, admonition and consolation. The children must become young people. Young people must become young men and young women. The young women and young men must become mothers and fathers in Christ. And to that end, they need guidance and care. The church needs care. Every member needs care of one sort or another. So then, does the Bible have anything to say about who is to do this caring? The carers. Well, this is how the Apostle Paul describes the situation in the church. After explaining that the church is one body... He says this about how the body works. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And a little further down, he says, From him, that's from Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So according to Paul, church leaders are the equippers, and every church member is a carer working to build up the body. So caring is not just for the paid workers of the church or those who have an office in the church. And there's a very simple reason why it's that way. It's a statistical reason. Apparently, people who've done studies on this tell us that each one of us can really only know about 70 people well. So you might have a thousand friends on Facebook, but when it comes to actual, real, close friends, 70 is the limit. And it's probably actually the very upper limit. I would guess most of us know far less than 70 people really well. So then think about what that means for the pastor of a church, or even just for the leaders of the church. Certainly pastors should make a serious effort to be acquainted with everybody in the church. But if a church is bigger than 30 or 40 people, it's unlikely the pastor is going to know everybody well. And if the church is bigger than 70 people, then he cannot know everybody well. We have just over 100 members here. That's not counting the non-members who are here every week. They add quite a bit to the number. And that means one pastor, or even two pastors, or even four elders, they're just not going to know in detail... The needs and the burdens of every member. And not only that, four elders can't give adequate time to each member. Whenever a big crisis comes in someone's life, we can give that person support for a while. But we just can't keep up with every little detail that doesn't quite amount to a crisis, even though it's important the everyday stresses and burdens that every single one of you has. Say, for example, Steve and I each took our week, our typical week, and then we subtracted the time that we spend on preparation for various things and administration and planning. And then whatever time was left, we split it, say, 50 ways each. How much of our time, then, does each member get? Not very much. And that's why Paul writes what he writes in Ephesians 4. Church leaders are the equippers, and every church member is a carer. And, of course, that includes the leaders as carers. So care for one another is a church-wide calling. That's the only way it's going to happen in any adequate way. Now, I said pastors can only know 70 people. But we can turn that around and say each of us then can know quite a few people. None of us can know everybody. And we might not manage 70 really close friendships. But each of us can know quite a lot of people if we work at it. So we can be concerned for every member and ready to help, and we can know quite a few members well. That's true even of pretty extreme introverts like me. We can still reach out and know quite a few people well. You can probably see a difficulty in this. Some of you have been here since the church started. Some of you have been here 20 years or 10 years. Many of you already know quite a few people. So what happens then when newer people arrive and you already know quite a few people? Do you say, well, I have my quota of friends filled up. I'm at my maximum. So I'll leave the new people to someone else. That probably means everyone will leave the new people to someone else, and the new people will not feel welcome. Or, just as bad actually, the new members will all stick together, and the old members will all stick together. And you've got what amounts to two different church families. So I want to suggest now some ways we can be as interconnected as possible as a church. The details of caring for one another. And we'll start here with home groups. Ideally, home groups will be your core group. That's why we want everyone, if possible, to be part of a home group. We hope that you get to know the people there really well. And incidentally, we don't intend home groups to be a mini version of a church service or even predominantly a Bible study. We aim to have three equal emphases. Home groups are for prayer. They're for deepening relationships and then for Bible study and application. So if your home group is just a Bible study That's good, but it's not what it's supposed to be. That might mean that for some of us, we'll need to change the way we think about home group. If we've been thinking of it simply as a time to show up and be fed and ministered to by someone else, then we need to think about it again. And if your leader is running the group that way, then talk to him about it. Gently helpfully. Work with your leader to try and reset the balance. Roughly equal attention to prayer, to deepening relationships, and to Bible study and application. Here's a description of what we would love to see in our home groups. A good local church and a good small group, we would say home group, is like the best of families. Good families take responsibility for each other. Good families are honest with each other. Good families take care of each other. Good families deal with their problems. Good families love each other. No one is lonely. That's why we would love to see everyone participating in a home group. If you're not then this is a good time to see one of the elders because we're working on refreshing the home groups. This is a perfect time to join in. Home groups can be the primary setting for our care for one another. And if you're thinking, well, not my home group, then you can work to change that. You could start by reading this book, Why Small Groups? That's where the quote is taken from. You could pass it around. And actually, this copy is going for free. So the first one to claim it and promise to read it can have it at the end. And of course, there are other small groups in the church, not just the home groups, but there are, for example, the men's group, the ladies' Bible study, any group that's small enough so you can get to know the people in it really well. Then another example of the details of care. Prayer. We have a prayer diary, and we have a new one that's almost ready to launch. And one significant way that you can care for others is committing to use that prayer diary regularly. I know it's really easy just to skim through the names. Lord bless him. Lord bless her and whoever that is. But let's aim, when we use it, to pray specifically for people, not just for their physical health. When the Apostle Paul prayed for people, he prayed for their spiritual health and their spiritual growth. And in order to do that, we need to be reading the Bible. Read the Bible regularly and then use what you've read when you pray for others. Pray what you've read for them. And obviously that's easier for people you know well. So what about people you don't know? Well, I'll tell you something that happened to Megan and me last week. We were in Northern Ireland. We were visiting my parents. On Sunday morning, we went with them to their church. Now, that was the church that I grew up in, so there's still a lot of people there who know me reasonably well but in the evening we went to another church where the people there don't know me and Megan ended up sitting beside one of the church members it was a lady probably in her mid 20s and after the service she introduced herself to Megan she found out some things about us told her a little bit about herself and before we got up to leave the church she said how can I pray for you this week That kind of interest makes a big impression. You remember things like that when they happen to you. So, then what if we started doing things like that? Why not pick one person each week and ask them, How can I pray for you this week? What are you facing? What are you concerned about? What are you joyful about? Ask the question genuinely. Maybe start with someone who's in your home group, a little bit more comfortable, and then widen it out. And if you spot a visitor, don't assume that someone else will ask them. You do it. And by the way, just in terms of context, the church that I just mentioned has about 1,500 members. So you'd think it would be easy to come and go unnoticed in a church like that. But from the times I've been there, it's obvious there is a culture of caring in that church. People are switched on to this. They're very intentional about it. Now I know for some of you, asking you to do this is like asking you to go out and dye your hair green. It sounds just beyond the peel to introduce yourself to someone else. And I realize too, some people might run away if you ask if you can pray for them. But actually, I don't think too many people would run away. Not everyone's going to be ready to open up to you. They might just give you a superficial answer. And if that happens, don't be pushy. But really, I think most people are just waiting to be asked. Who wouldn't want to be prayed for? And you can be God's instrument to minister to that person. Not to take their prayer request and turn it into gossip, but actually to intercede for them. And if you're worried that you'll forget to pray during the week, I know that's a possibility, If you're worried about that, then just ask if they mind you praying for them right then and there, before you leave your seats. You don't have to come up with anything profound when you pray, just take what they've told you and offer it up to God. That is a powerful way to care for a brother and sister, or sister. And wouldn't it be wonderful if that was just a regular, normal thing in this church? If it was normal to see it at the end of services. Brothers and sisters holding each other up in prayer, quietly. Instead of talking about whether David Moyes is going to get sacked this week. And I think what we would find is, in many cases, those kinds of conversations and prayers will lead to more than conversations and prayers. Sometimes we'll find we could be God's means of answering the prayer. Maybe giving that person a lift somewhere, getting their shopping, looking in on them, putting them in contact with someone else who could help, doing some DIY, mowing their lawn. We could phone them or text them in the week to see how the thing that we prayed about is going. That's a way that we can get interconnected. And then we begin to carry each other's burdens. As I said, the first person you approach might run away. But they will still know that you care enough to ask. And maybe later they will talk to you. So if it goes badly the first time you try it, don't give it up as a bad job. <clears throat> try again. Well, another detail of our care is hospitality. Hospitality is a biblical command. Romans chapter 12 verse 13 says, practice hospitality. Hospitality. In 1 Peter, we're told one of the ways we love each other deeply is to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So why not commit to have someone round for a meal once a month? Now, if you're embarrassed about your cooking, you can get Ronald McDonald to cook. Or Colonel Saunders. Or you could have someone for a cup of tea instead of a meal. If you're embarrassed about the state of your house, then you could take them to the Pelso Cafe, support a local business. You could participate on the Sundays when we have a bunch for lunch. We've only done it a few times, but we will do it again. In that case, we do the organizing for you. All you have to do is sign up. And again, the idea is to build up, as much as possible, a web of connections between us so that no one is ever left by themselves. Everyone has someone who's looking out for them. The Church of Jesus Christ should never be just a formal organization. You've all been to those kind of churches, I'm sure church of Jesus Christ is a living organism, the Bible tells us. It's called the body of Christ. And the body is made up of living relationships. We are connected to Christ and we're connected to one another. Now, I know that there are great challenges. Many of you are busy. Some of our members are very unwell. Some of you are caring For your flesh and blood family in different ways. Not all of us can help in the same degree. But we can still find ways, according to our situation, to be involved in other people's lives. There are some of our members who can never make it to church. And I've already asked several of you to be part of a care team. To focus on those who need the most care. And we hope to get that working soon. If you're interested in being part of a care team like that, then come and ask me about it. But we don't need to be part of an official team before we start caring. I'll just finish this part by mentioning the payoff when we care for one another. First, Personal enrichment. One writer says this. Those Christians who keep themselves at arm's length from the local church are impoverished. They deprive themselves of the opportunity to learn more about the one they claim to love, Jesus Christ, in the different faces of their fellow members, old and young, salty and sweet. What exactly does he mean? Well, listen to these words from Jesus, which I think explain what he means. Jesus is talking here about the final judgment. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's Jesus talking. And what he's saying is when we care for our brothers and sisters in Christ, we are loving God. And finally, we are... Showing others what God is like. This is something else Jesus said. A new command I give you love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. True disciples, Jesus says, are always like their master. And we serve a loving, caring God. And when we show care for one another, we're showing others what our God is like. I realize that I've piled in a lot of material in that. So if that has raised any questions for you, if you had any questions to begin with before I even started... Or if there are any comments that you'd like to make, then I want to have an opportunity now to do that and to compensate for the trouble we had last time when no one could hear the questions. Nathan, I think, has a mic. And so if you have a question or a comment, if you just raise your hand and Nathan will come to you and that way everyone else can hear. Even if you don't want to talk into a mic, it's for the sake of everyone else. Yes, Joanna grabs you.
1: Grab Stu? Thank you. I have a real problem with the prayer diary for, for the simple reason: I, I, like you said earlier, you know, I oh, bless him, bless him. You only know with a certain amount of people what to pray for. So, so how do you pray for people that you don't know what to pray? Because I, I find myself going through the same routine over and over again.
0: Well, I would say if you come to someone, some of them you will know, but when you come to someone you don't just make a, a point the next Sunday of trying to find that person and introduce yourself and, and ask them. maybe it take a couple of times before you could ask them. but again, it's all initiative that isn't going to happen unless we I know it's not it's not a simple thing, and a lot of us won't find that easy, but I think that's really the only way because it people are unlikely to come to us and ask us to pray for them. So that's, that's probably the best advice I can give. It's just work I suppose to do it. And and that's a way of serving the person really. I mean, you could do their shopping or you could seek them out and purposefully pray for them. That's a way you serve them and serve Christ. And again, I think that's a way... I know some people, when we do the membership commitments, people say, well, how can I really be concerned for every member? Well, one way that we all can is to try as much as possible to pray to some degree for everybody who's in the prayer diary. That, that covers the base in a, in a very helpful way of caring for every single member. And then we care for others lesser, a lesser number of people in in other ways. Um, Well, since Megan's closer, and then Steve as well.
1: No, I was just thinking about what Stu was asking, and I was thinking too, and this is something that I need to improve in my own life, but I think a way we can pray for each other too is using some of the biblical prayers. If we don't know people, Paul has brilliant prayers about opening the eyes to the depth and width of God's riches and love for us. And you know, some of those prayers that we could you could make a list of some of the great prayers that Paul prayed for people he ministered to that would fit anyone in any circumstance. And use one of those as you go through the prayer diary. You switch it up different weeks.
0: And usually if you go to one of Paul's letters, usually the first chapter has a prayer for the people he's writing to. You could you could use those. It's helpful. Thank you. Steve. I remember
1: reading somewhere about the cost of caring. And often we, or, or what the writer was saying was, you can only really say you've cared for someone when it causes you some personal well, discomforts the wrong way, but you put yourself out. Often we care for each other within the bounds of what is easy for us. And the challenge that the writer put was that once a week you should put yourself out for someone because often love and care will hurt, hurt you personally and your priorities will change and they won't change until you've put yourself out. So I kind of put that challenge there for myself and others as well, that we should look to maybe put ourselves out for caring for others rather than just caring for others within the bounds of what is is comfortable for for each one of us. Yeah.
0: Thank you. And just to add to that caring for one another is work, and any kind of work is tiring. I would just maybe lay alongside that. We spoke this morning about the Messiah. And it is true. We know it in theory, but none of us in this room is the Messiah. But sometimes when we get involved in someone's life and we take on their burdens, we begin to feel a weight of responsibility that actually isn't ours to carry. We can care for people, but we can never ultimately deliver and save people and take their burdens from them. Only Christ can do that. And I think it's helpful as we work to care for people and as that does tire us to remember actually that the pressure is not on us because we're not God. We're not the Messiah. We can't fix people's lives. We can't take their pain away. But we can help them. And God will use us in certain ways. But the great burden is on him and He bears that burden for each of us. Was there another question?
1: (laughs) So I was just going to add, just thinking about what I'd said, that kind of putting ourselves out doesn't necessarily mean, you know, working through the night, but maybe when when we talk about praying for others, it might mean missing the one television program that you watch every single week or, you know, the 10 minutes, 15 minutes you spend doing something that you really, really enjoy that maybe this week you have to go without rather than, you know, something that's massively grandioso like traveling around the world for someone. It can be something as simple as that.
2: On the point of uh, that it's not possible for you or Steve to know everyone here, Um, is it possible to kind of have all members um, divided in four and have one of the elders, that include you and Steve, as the responsible elder for that person? And everyone here would know if I have a problem, he is the one to go to. And that also would be the person that comes to you and inquires and goes deeper deliberately to work out how your faith is. Because I can be coming here for years and doing all kinds of things without someone knowing anything about my personal faith. And as you set out, is the faithful word of God that needs to be first and then the care comes and so it is also with our members we need to be uh, regularly how our faith is before there is any value in our works so my suggestion is to have a kind of structure maybe one elder for two Uh, home groups or so so that we know oh that's our elder and our elder makes a big effort to know my faith and helps me if I struggle in my faith so that my works are works of God rather than anything else
0: yeah thank you I think that's that's one helpful possibility but what I wouldn't want to do is that uh, say the person preaching on a Sunday knows 25 people really well and doesn't really know the rest of the people at all i think the ideal is that we as much as possible try to get to know each member to some degree just acknowledging that we're not going to know every member really well i would just see it possibly a danger in each of each of the elders knowing a quarter of the church and not knowing the other 3 quarters but when we do come together for elders meetings, we spend the first part of our meeting in prayer for members and bringing the needs that we know about together and, and praying for those together. So it, it's something we, we always need to be working on and thinking about more. And I think maybe a oversight of home groups between elders would be a helpful thing. Yeah. Thank you. Any other thoughts queries? Would anyone like this book? If you promise to read it, you can have it yeah i'll bring it back I'll bring it to you then okay Celia yes.
3: just a sort of practical point really when you, you know, with sort of experience, years experience of coming people's needs in their perhaps homes and things. If, say yourself, you know you can't meet that need. If there was some, sometimes you think, well, who could I ask? And, and you almost don't like asking people, you know, if there was a need that, you know, that they needed some strong person to, to do a, a need, whether there's some way of, making that available.
0: Yeah. yeah, thank you. I think there are, there are two things basically. One is personal initiative for each of us and the second thing which is behind what Celia is saying is as leaders we have a responsibility to help ourselves be as organised as possible to care. So we have the personal thing and then we need the organisation to, to help that and one thing would be maybe those who have particular skills or ways that they can help maybe making themselves known or the elders looking for those people and making that known to the church who they could call on. Not that we want someone who volunteers to mow lawns getting called every day to mow everyone's lawn, but some way that we could could do that. Yeah, these are all things that we are conscious we need to work more on uh, to make, connect people up to meet needs. Yeah, thank you. Any final comment before I give thanks for this food? Yep.
3: You've talked um, about that it's, it's difficult to ask people what can I pray for you. Um, it might be even more difficult to answer that honestly. Mm-hmm. So it, it doesn't, always, doesn't only require the courage to ask the question, I think we all should um have courage to to answer that question and say this is what's difficult and it's it's very easy to become sidetracked and say, yeah I've got a busy week, I've got a but to to ask for prayer for things that really um that we really are praying for or that we really are struggle with that's that's going to be um the most helpful but also the most difficult. So I think we all need to, to try and not only ask the question, but also answer the question uh, in an honest way. And that's difficult.
0: Yeah, I think that's an element of humbling ourselves, because we don't like to expose weakness. We like people to think that everything's fine. But it really, biblically, it's an element of, of humbling ourselves enough to say, actually, I can't do everything by myself. I do need the help of brothers and sisters. And I think, too, whenever we ask someone, how are you, that person knows whether we mean it or not, or whether we're just saying it. For example, that lady who spoke to us in the church, it was very obvious after five minutes of conversation that she really did want to pray for us, and so it was easy for us to answer, and I think that's something for us to think about ourselves. If we're going to ask someone, how are you, or how can I pray for you, let's make sure that we actually do want to know how they are and we actually do want to pray for them. And I think that the tone and the whole approach makes a big difference. People can sense whether we mean it or not. Let me pray for the food and then we can continue talking. Thank you, Nathan, for your help. Father, we thank you for one another. We realize, as we often remark, we are so different looking around this room. So different, and yet united by Christ, bought by the blood of Christ and dependent on Christ. And we know that Christ uses each of us actually to be his instruments and his ministers to one another. So I pray that each of us can grow in our grasp of that, that we are saved to serve our Savior and to be a part of building up the body as Paul spoke about. And we're so different in our gifts, our personalities. Some of us are so shy, some of us are so introverted and others have no trouble starting up a conversation, but help us as we are able in our own way to push ourselves that little bit for you, for love of you, and for your glory, and for the good of these brothers and sisters who are all around us. We pray that it will never be the case in this church that anyone is lonely, anyone is left alone, or anyone is going through something that no one else knows about. We pray that that will not be true of anyone in this fellowship. We thank you for this food, for those who have brought it. We pray that you will bless the rest of our time together. Continue to work among us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.